Emily, we're talking about Autism Acceptance Month, essentially, aren't we? What does accepting autism mean? What does what, what being accepted mean? And how do you know that it's happening? Is it about, in the workplace especially, is it about, is it about safe spaces? Is it about that it's talked about? Is it that it's not something you have to hide? You know, from personal experience, what, 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 what does that mean? What does it mean? It's a, a really massive question, Dom. So I think it's really difficult to answer that question because everyone who is neurodivergent is different from one another. And we say in terms of autism, once you've met an autistic person, you've met an autistic person, just the one, because we are, as neurodivergent people, we are all incredibly different. I mean, the nature of the word neurodivergent is different brains. And so when you're looking at how you how you make people feel included, it's by speaking to that one person, finding out what their needs are, and then making them feel included by by doing what you can to support them and their needs. So a lot of the work that I do is around listening to colleagues um, who are neurodivergent and finding out what we can do as an organisation to make them feel the most supported and to be able to bring their best selves to work, to feel like they can be authentic in the workplace. What's interesting from the perspective of other, if you want, groups in society that have been underrepresented and women in tech, for example, there is a certain, a large amount of shared experience. Whereas what you're talking about is we have to listen very much to the individual because everybody is different. So it's actually about questioning what that person specifically them needs. Absolutely. And and I, you have lots of resources out there that say you could do this or you could, in a workplace setting, you could make an adjustment that looks like this. But really, it's about having those as, as potential tools that could support. But it's about speaking to the individual person about whether it would support them and the particular way that they work. So we know that autistic people are very likely to have other neurodivergent conditions that go alongside it and so you have three don't you you have you have three three. yeah yeah Yeah. so it adds a completely different layer and when you take that into consideration with then the way that you were brought up if you've got a religion if you live in a particular area whether you speak a different language, you know, all of those things make you a completely different person. So why would you treat people the same? So Rachel, um, is, is that something that you, you relate to, that it's actually all you want is for people to listen to who you are and to understand who you are as a person? I think it's a weird one because um, I think there's two ways that you can kind of see it. You can see it as sort of, um, you know, uh, there needs to be an active sort of, um, you know, process undertaken in order to accept somebody. Or you could just look at it from a really human angle and think, you know, how would I want to be treated? Sort of take away sort of anything that, um, you know, might be the thing that's making that person sort of different to yourself. Just think sort of how would, uh, how would sort of I, you know, be most comfortable if somebody was trying to accommodate me? And because I, th- I think... 
I think some of the battle is the fact that sort of there's probably a lot of neurodivergent people that are functioning quite well in sort of workplaces, sort of having made the small adjustments, but having made them independently. And how they've done that is just with, you know, sort of a little bit of um, empathy and a little bit of um, support, sort of just in a very human way. And so maybe it's not sort of about, you know, putting a big sign up and saying we're we're going to do all these things for neurodivergent people. I think it's just it's it's coming back to saying we're just going to be more kind and a bit more patient and think about, you know, what people need a bit more and be, you know, that have that tailored approach. Can you give me an example of something that for you, for example, someone's shown you kindness, a small bit of kindness? A small bit of understanding. It's worked for you, and you've motored on. Well, say so when I when I first sort of um, came into Talk Talk, I um, was um, I was surprised at sort of how um, uh, flexible we were all allowed to be, really, because um, something that does work for me because I sort of have a condition um, which um, is like an enhanced sense and sensory sort of uh, information condition. I actually sometimes work better sort of in you know almost at night almost like take a sort of uh, you know um approach that um I'm, I'm a little bit sort of um there's, there's a lot going on during the day so sometimes my my most focused time can be sort of that period between sort of nine and eleven at night so just the very fact that sort of I can you know perhaps sort of um take take a little bit of time during the day if I need to have sort of 15 20 minutes and just sort of you know you know step back from whatever I'm working on um and then sort of um, pick up the time somewhere when it, sometime when it's a bit quieter. And I've found that, um, say, certainly uh, my line manager, he's been more than happy to accommodate that. And um, he does for most people. I think he um, he just sees it as sort of obvious. And, you know, why wouldn't you help somebody work the way that they work the best? So what this seems to me, Emily, it's it's not focusing on a label, it's focusing on outputs, isn't it? It's focusing on absolutely. I uh, this is what I want as a company you to do, and you deliver it in the way that works well for you. I guess is that it? That's exactly it. Yeah, and treating people like adults, uh, and saying you know this is the role description, this is what we need you to do, and you do that in the way that works for you best. But there is a bit of benevolent ignorance, I would call it for want of a better word, about some people that just don't realise that there would be other ways of doing things and they had never really come across it. And once they're told it, you sort of think, of course, why didn't I think of that already? You know, like Rachel was speaking about, well, perhaps a really chatty, loud office isn't the best for everybody. But there's an assumption, and I don't think malicious, that that is a good kind of way to work. <laughs> so I guess there's a, that we have to all, we, da- we have to do a bit of educating, don't we? To, to, to gain accept to gain acceptance. We do have to do a lot of educating. And I was thinking about this on the bus actually this morning when I dropped my son off at nursery and thinking about how we do make so many assumptions of the way that we we do things. And that actually quite a lot of the things that are adjustments for people who are neurodivergent if they were done by everybody, everybody would appreciate them. It's things like when you give someone um, a task to do, to then follow it up in an email with some bullet points of exactly what you've just said. A so good that, brief, that, basically, yes, is what, exactly. what you're talking so, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you remind people of the action points that they agreed to, or 
things like not hot desking and making sure that people have spaces that they can call their own and things that they're familiar with or um, buddies and mentors. That's something that we do quite a lot with neurodivergent colleagues. And that's proven to be really successful with people who are not neurodivergent who we also call neurotypical, but things like for people particularly who have dyslexia and ADHD, because they look at things in a very holistic way, one of the What do you mean by that? What do you mean in a holistic way? What do you mean? So they look at things rather than just seeing a house and a front door, they'll be thinking about the back door and the back windows and what they might look like and what the inside of the house might look like and what the table might look like and who might live there. So everything about that in order to make sense that, okay, so that's why the front door's painted that colour because that's the type of people that live in that house. It's trying to make sense of everything by mapping everything. So when you when you are a new starter at an organisation, to be able to have process maps that show you this is how that fits in to that particular area of the organisation, that's the work that they do, these are the processes that they follow. It's good practice for everybody, not just neurodivergent people. Somebody once told me that um, sort of having sort of the dyslexic sort of like a macro approach is a bit like thinking in 3D and you basically, you never think of the one thing that's sort of, you know, just there. You think of everything else and how it all slots together and sort of um, how this big shape comes together. And that's and that sort of person might make a good lawyer, Rachel, for they example. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, I... The more the more I research it, the more I think I've got multiple. If I'm honest with you, because I can't spell, and I'm I'm very uh, very reliant on on spell checker. I remember sort of like earlier in my career, I would always sort of ask people sort of, uh, and I know this is what you need me to do, but I need to know how it's come about. I need to know what the project is, the aim of the project is, what's the um, what's the end game. Say who are all the players in it, and. It does very much sound like <laughs> thinking in a way that sort of I think they describe it as expansive thinking, and it's like all the little connections that come together. And I think that's sort of common in a few different uh, conditions, isn't it? So, I mean, I I almost quite literally see it because I kind of I have sort of um, a synesthesia, which is uh, I get information which is color from sound and shape from sound and texture from sound and or thoughts um so yeah i get like weird information that nobody else gets <laughs> you must you must have amazing time at concerts <laughs> i do mm. <laughs> but not everything not everything triggers it so not all music is is the same so only certain sort of i don't know artists composers producers i always used to sort of um be interested to know that like sort of when i was um hearing a track and thought yeah I really enjoy that I really enjoy that and then I'd find out the same producer had made it It doesn't matter who's singer the same producer had made it and therefore you've got those little sort of you know signature points that are somewhere within that track and for me it's almost like it's layered and layered and layered and layered and all the different instruments come out sort of almost you know in a sort of big 3D sculpture almost (laughs) it's weird (laughs) there's one there's one one thing I'm interested in we've spoken about this Rachel is challenging the idea of being a good fit yeah. in a company. Now, I think when people say that person's a good fit, they don't mean that in a malicious way. They're trying to imagine that that person would be happy and that would work well in a team. I think yes. it's ne- 
I think it comes from quite a positive place. But the more I speak about, more I hear about neurodiversity and how we are not giving neurodivergent people perhaps the best chance and the best opportunity to succeed in the workplace, the more I think that the idea of a good fit isn't helpful because it comes with preconceptions and it's not what we were talking about, Emily, about having a good brief and just being information-led and output-led. Is that, is that something, you, is that yeah. something you, you think perhaps is a societal error at the moment within the workplace and within recruitment and interviews? I do. Um, and so at Ambitious About Autism, we don't talk about culture fit. We talk about culture add. What can this person actually add to this organisation that we don't have already? I, I can I can totally see that. So you you and I guess that that goes to the nature of teams, doesn't it, Emily? It goes to teams not being homogenous, and you're just having one more of the same. Teams having diversity within them, and perhaps some degree of creative tension, some degree of you know people with different ideas. Is is do you feel Rachel within your team you're bringing divergent perspective, and therefore that's useful, but that has to be managed. How how, how does that work within your team of lawyers? I think it's I think it's interesting because um we we work very very well as sort of like a sort of as a group of peers basically and we sort of test each other and we sort of um we talk through various problems that might sort of exist for the organization or sort of how to sort of approach a particular task um you know whether something's come up before how it was handled whether it was handled well and that again it sort of comes back to things that you see as good practice generally so evaluating things that you've done previously pulling in sort of information from all the different sort of um you know individuals sort of within your team that sort of may have had sort of experience of a particular sort of project or similar project and we will we will sometimes sort of work to you know somebody who's done sort of a, a certain type of project before, or we will sort of add in some, somebody different into the mix because we think actually it would be useful on this one to bring a different perspective. We do all sort of come together and think sort of how are we going to approach each individual project and sort of split the work um, based on what the needs of the project are and sort of work more dynamically. So Emily, I guess that we have to think when we're thinking about neurodiversity in the workplace and acceptance of neurodiversity, what we're actually talking about is acceptance of diversity and diversity of thinking and not groupthink and not we want the same person. Yeah, it's exactly that, Dom. The classic, the classic is that um, neurodiversity is uh, very similar to biodiversity and biodiversity requires every type of plant and, and uh, animal life in the world in order for the whole mechanism, the whole ecosystem to work. So you wouldn't have the, you know, you wouldn't have the continuation of life if you didn't have all the different elements there. So the more different elements you have, the better sort of ecosystem you have. And you don't have sort of um, almost like something that's sort of driving itself to an end almost because it's only sort of pulling from its own pool each time. So I think it's it's the way of expanding and it's the way of sort of, you know, getting the full experience of business and life generally. Emily, some advice, therefore, for companies to do better, to welcome this sort of diversity of opinion, creative destruction, creative tension, all the different views that we might get from a whole sort of biodiverse society. What two or three things would you ask a company to do? Well, something that we do at Ambitious About Autism is we have a place called the Inclusion Space, which is on Yammer, which 
every person is invited to uh, when they start with the organisation. And it's a safe space for questions, for conversation, for dialogue between people about all sorts of EDI, so uh, equity, diversity and inclusion topics, about campaigns, but also just questions about things like terminology and inclusive language. And it's a space for people to thank one another and recognize one another and make each other feel wanted and valued. And it's not something that I've seen in many other organizations that I've worked with, but it's something that really creates that difference. So I would definitely recommend that. I would recommend staff networks or ERGs, as they're sometimes called, um, employee uh, resource groups or business resource groups or affinity groups. They've got loads of different names, but they all really do the same thing, which is to get people together who share a protected characteristic. But the really important part of that is that you recognize the intersectionality, as we were talking about earlier, of the fact that everyone brings something different to the table. And where you may be talking about something that's specific to, say, the LGBTQ plus community, you'll have people within that group who have very different views and who can bring different things to that conversation. So I would definitely recommend that as well. And and I've been really... Um, excited to see what Talk Talk are doing through the Talk Neurodiversity Network as well. That's all for today. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app. And if you have time, give us a review. If you have a suggestion or question, get in touch on Twitter at Talk Talk Group. You can follow us there or also on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for listening.